0: welcome to today's episode of positively geared i'm alex augustiniak co-host of the positively geared podcast i'm here again in the studio with lloyd edge lloyd welcome
1: good morning alex great to be with you again
0: so uh, Lloyd, we've got a uh, another great guest. I, I feel like a, uh, a broken record because we've, we've had some really good guests over the, the course of our podcast series here, but we're joined today by Zoom uh, with Kirsten Craze. Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. A bit of background on Kirsten. She is a freelance journalist. Most of your time, if not all of your time, Kirsten, is around property-centric journalism and uh, you're obviously uh, you know very much up to speed with the Sydney property market. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Thank you for having me. So, Kirsten, tell us a bit about uh, your background for people listening today that they've probably seen, particularly for those in Sydney, uh, some of your work previously, but now now that they've got an opportunity to sort of put a face to the name, although this is a recording. Uh, <laughs> a, a voice how, to the name, how,
2: perhaps.
0: A, a, a voice to the name is a, a much better choice of words. Uh, tell us about Uh, your road to where you are today. We'd we'd love to get a bit of a background onto your journalistic career and and even before then.
2: Okay. Well, um, like you said, I do concentrate primarily on property stories, anything sort of from how the market's going to what cushions might be the best color (laughs) in your home this season. Although I do tend to lean more towards real estate than interiors. But I started uh, probably on and off for 20 years. I've been doing real estate as a strong component of what I write about. But probably when I really got into it 100% would be in the early 2000s, I joined the Wentworth Courier, which I don't know if um, all listeners would know, but it's an eastern suburbs, Sydney-based eastern suburbs, free magazine, newspaper that you pick up at the front of your house every Wednesday. And um, from there, that that was bought by News Corp uh, many years ago. And from there, I sort of moved around within News Corp, worked for The Telegraph, other suburban papers, The Sunday Telegraph, and news.com.au, realestate.com.au, which is affiliated with them as well. So I've bounced around there. Uh, but now I, I work across a variety of titles from in-flight magazines to other sorts of industry content.
0: And Kirsten, was there always a natural draw were you naturally drawn to property or was it something that just sort of organically happened over time?
2: It was probably organic at the beginning. I mean, I think when I when I started writing about property, there was so much jargon and words and things. I didn't even know what it, what it all meant. I didn't own property at the time. Um, but then very quickly, I became very interested in it. So, it sort of fell in my lap, but... Um, yeah, now it really is sort of a job and a, and a bit of a passion to find out what's happening and and how Australians are devouring property.
0: One of the reasons that we were super excited to have you on the show is because I guess a uh, you're the first uh, from your walk of life in terms of you're the first uh, I, I'd say you know mainstream journalist that we've had on the show. So we're really excited just for that alone. But you know, being a journo, which I think is one of the, the the best jobs on the planet. Ah, uh, being able to report on things—it's a, you know, for me, it's a very prestigious job. You know, you obviously have quite a, a strong bearing or or ability to influence the property market or at least consumers' perception of the property market. Do you, do you see that same level of importance from your end? And do you sort of—is it a burden that you sort of carry, or how does it feel as a journo? in in the current climate or any climate, for that matter, talking property?
2: Yeah, I think, um, of course, any journalist does have the ability to sort of influence, I suppose is a strong word, today. Um, But yeah, I think that in media today and where people get their information, they do look to mainstream publications. But I think uh, people who are interested in property and want to buy property, whether it's a home or an investment, I think they're savvy enough to not just read one headline and think, okay, that's um, what's happening. They take a broad approach and sort of investigate beyond mainstream media. I think most people don't just take one headline and, and run with that, especially when you're talking about investing so much money.
0: And Lloyd, uh, obviously, you know we both uh, being in the industry. Uh, Lloyd being a buyer's agent, myself being a selling agent, so we're sort of the two two opposite evils. You know, we we do spend a lot of time working in the space with people like yourself. Whether it's pr- for for me personally, you know, if it's promoting properties or giving commentary around the state of the market. Uh, Lloyd, for you, you know, whether it's giving commentary or recounting, I suppose, your side of the story. Lloyd, how important do you find um, Kirsten's role? Within our little, uh, I suppose, industry,
1: oh, I think Kirsten's role and and people like what uh, what she does is is actually really integral to get information out there because uh, any sort of media and whether you know you're getting good information or uh, or yeah otherwise as as people may perceive it. It's still a way of getting information out there, so people can actually make informed decisions, and I think that's the most important thing. Because you know, without actually reading about, and it it comes with um, everything that's been presented, whether it's the auction results from the um, from Saturday, for example, or uh, or what the markets are doing, or what the banks are doing. You know, journalists like what Kirsten does; they're, they're writing about you know these specific topics. So that's integral because without that kind of information being written about, then no one would be able to actually make an informed decision. And whether they're, uh, they're reading you know, one comment and making that decision or reading a lot of comments and taking a broader decision, as Kirsten mentioned, you still need that information to be presented. Uh, so I think it's very integral to have um, have the media there presenting that information.
0: Kirsten, I want to ask you, Obviously, um, one of the great things about having you on the show is that you do very much have in some respects a, a, what I call a helicopter view of of the property market. Um, you know, you would, I would imagine, have relationships with a lot of people within the industry and, and, and obviously in the media world. Yeah. What, what's your take on, I mean, obviously, COVID, let's rewind 12 months ago. A lot of us were sort of sitting on, on our magical couch with popcorn waiting to see what would happen. And we've obviously come back to, in my view, one of the strongest, if not the strongest market conditions that we've, we've seen since the beginning of time in the country. How do you see things from your perspective? Are you finding that consistently from suburb to suburb, region to region, at least let's say Sydney metro, is it very much the same general feeling across the board? Are you, are you observing anything out of the ordinary or particular with reference to the current market or even looking back over the last 12 months?
2: anything unusual than years prior? Is that, is that what you mean? Other than the pandemic, you mean in the behaviour of the market?
0: Well, just in terms of what you're seeing out there, you're finding that uh, we're recording from the Northern Beaches, for example, in Sydney. And you know we're we're in quite robust and strong market conditions here. You're finding it it's sort of consistently across the board having the benefit from I suppose observing so many different parts of the the city in the metro region. Yeah,
2: look, I think um, it's definitely a time of a bit of uh, people keep using this term FOMO, but it's kind of sums it up, doesn't it? That their people are worried they're going to miss out on their next purchase, and I think probably what's very obvious is the change in the regional area. I, myself, I live in regional New South Wales. And so not only am I reading the statistics uh, and I'm getting press releases about things happening in the regional markets, but I'm seeing it with my own eyes um, where I'm living. So I think probably what's a real standout at the moment is this shift in the way we people are living and what they want to buy. And you can see that in the opposite with the in, inner city unit markets.
0: And, and I suppose for you, Kirsten, were, were you already in regional New South Wales before COVID or was this – because I know, as you rightfully just said, where there's so many people going through what we call sea changes and tree changes yeah. at the moment. A lot of people – obviously no longer needing to be tied down to an office desk in the city every day. Was that something that you did as a, a byproduct of COVID or has it been something you've just had the benefit of for some time?
2: No, I, I relocated a couple of years ago, so I must have had some psychic ability <laughs> and I've been working uh, from from home in regional Australia for, for well before COVID. Yeah. So it's something I chose to do, which a lot of other people are choosing to do because they, they realize that they can now.
1: Uh, that's interesting, but you would have seen a lot of uh, action, I guess, in those regional markets over the last twelve months. Because yeah, there's, as Alex was mentioning, there's uh, a lot of people that have been sort of moving to those markets and getting away from those inner city markets. But uh, you know, the uh, what we've seen is just a lot of um, house price growth and, and a lot of action, even in properties that we're trying to buy in regional markets. Is yes. often twenty five or thirty offers being put on on each property. So very buoyant markets uh, in in many regions across the country.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting that um, when we were in the height of lockdowns and particularly the Melbourne's extended lockdown, there was a a real flight um, from the cities and talking to agents, particularly ones based around the Byron Bay area, the wild behaviour of buyers buying sight unseen, dropping millions of dollars for properties because they just wanted to get out and they decided they wanted to change their lifestyles, I think maybe We all thought there was going to be a mass exodus from the cities. But I think as we can see now, um, you could probably both agree with me, is that the cities, particularly the suburbs, maybe not the centres, but the metropolitan areas are still seeing a lot of buyer interest. It's not that people want to live in the country, they just might want a bit more space or they're realising that because they were stuck inside for a few months, they realised that of the things that they perhaps wanted to change or didn't like about their current home and, and that's what they're doing. They're realising it's now or never, let's get our forever home. I feel like that's a big theme at the moment, not just regional Australia.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I completely agree. And and obviously, with borders being closed, people you know instead of spending 20 30,000 on an overseas trip for 2 months you know that money's going into property it's going into i mean we we've discussed now a couple of times Lloyd that Westpac released a, a basically a, a report before Christmas last year and they were expecting based on the data that more people were going to make a big household item purchase or, or buy a home this year and and you know that now with the benefit of hindsight seems exactly like what's happening out there so you know i i absolutely agree Kirsten, with your observations, um, and it's good to have those validated by someone. That, as I said, you know, you do have very much a helicopter view of the market in terms of you know you get to see all regions of Sydney where we might specialise. I know Lloyd specialises in just about everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> but for myself, who specialises on a quite a geographically centric area, Lloyd. You know, we've we've spent a bit of time now talking about FOMO because it's a common theme in any rising market or strong market. Is there anything that you, you you could build on, just based on what we've sort of previously covered off on? The reason I ask with with you in the studio today by Zoom, Kirsten, is that you know the media does obviously like to report on what they're seeing out there, and and sometimes you know when buyers read articles that you know everything's selling x amount above reserve, it can sort of I guess create you know whether it's by design or or not, you know a bit of that fear of missing out. Uh, dynamic, yes. Uh, Lloyd, what 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 do you see in terms of, I guess, from a journalist's perspective in the media and 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 how that relationship between what we do and what they do can sort of attribute to this environment?
1: Well, I guess the question was from a journalist's as perspective, so you have to ask Kirsten that one. But from um from my um respect perspective, I think yeah, like the journalists definitely you know have a role to play in in reporting what they're seeing out yeah, in the market, and there's definitely some some FOMO out there and as as we've discussed before, it's it's about managing that and managing the uh the expectations. And I guess from my perspective, we we see a lot written about the FOMO and people just jumping to buy anything. But I think it's my job as a buyers agent to educate people on what they they can get for their money and not to rush into uh, just just any sort of property purchase. And as Kirsten was saying before, there's there's still a lot of action, um particularly in the you know the the outer suburbs. And sometimes that's where people need to also look at the expectations that uh maybe those more expensive suburbs uh maybe out of people's price range. So maybe they can't buy in the northern beaches, but they might be able to buy in, you know, maybe the the southwestern suburbs or something and get a little bit more bang for their their money. And uh and as we've spoken before, especially when John Lindelman was on our, our last episode, where, you know, first home buyers generally upgrade after four years. And then uh, you know, then people upgrade their properties again. So and this is a time we're going through at the moment where people are generally upgrading their uh, their homes and everything like that. So uh, you know, people are not buying their forever homes necessarily at the moment. So yeah, people need to keep that into account too, uh, rather than just thinking that they're just going to miss out on their, their forever home.
0: Kirsten, is it hard, I suppose, building on what Lloyd's just said, is, is it hard in the drivers' scene in your role Because obviously, you know, I think to be a great journalist, which you are, you've got to be really passionate about your topic and obviously, you know, live and breathe it, I guess, for a great extent. Is it hard as a journalist, particularly when we do see within a condensed period of time, let's say over 12 months, so much change, not just in the property market, but the world we live in? I mean, COVID has brought. In many respects, it, it, it's possibly changed the way we live forever, or at least for, you know, it's left a dent in time as to, you know, a change in behavior and, and how we run our lives and what's expected of us as citizens in this country. Um, and we're very lucky, by the way, compared to other parts of the world. Is it hard as a journalist to, you know, obviously you want to deliver great news and upbeat uh, I suppose views on the property market, you know everyone does love a good story about the house that sold a million dollars above reserve, but is is it hard to sort of balance that out between not sort of giving the farm away, so to speak, and also not being the person that everyone blames the next week and said, Oh well, we bought this house because you know we read an article and they said that if we don't buy today, we're going to be screwed
2: yeah, look, I think it it can be a burden because you think people are going to read this and some people will take it as as gospel but and I'm always conscious of that, I always think and- Uh, what is important for a property writer to remember is that there are always two sides to the equation. It's either a buyer's market or a seller's market often, it's one or the other. And so you can um, write something that will disappoint buyers if the market is like it is at the moment and things are going well over reserve or getting big prices or selling in 24 hours. Um, But on the other side if the market isn't good and there's bargains everywhere, then you have to be conscious of how people who are thinking of selling are going to be reading that. And is that going to make them panic or have a certain reaction? So there's always people who are going to be reading articles and thinking that it's not what they want to hear, but it's you know, the, the best we can do is tell the truth. And yeah, it might make people panic that there are things selling for half a million over reserve, but th- the facts and figures are there. It's really happening. But I think what they need to do is realise maybe why are those particular homes so highly sought after at the moment? Will that continue? Have a look, like Lloyd said, e- examine what is happening in certain areas. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned when I was concentrating particularly on Sydney, now I have a national approach, but people always used to ask me, how's the Sydney market going? And there just isn't one Sydney market. There's so many um, nuances to the property market in Sydney as there is in Melbourne and, and other areas. So people need to, readers need to not just think, oh, this is happening across the board. They need to put on their thinking cap and decide, okay, where is it that I'm looking? What type of property? What price range? And study that within the context of the media.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and I think it's just as a as a listener here. You know, if you are jumping on the web, because I mean, particularly, I suppose as a selling agent, you know, you meet buyers all the time, and they'll say, "Oh, look, Alex, I read this report, and it suggests this, and the media's saying that," and I guess everyone is trying to. Everyone's always looking for leverage in a negotiation, right? So. I think it's it's really good if you're looking at the longer term, which is what we discuss on our series here, positively geared. You know, fundamentally, this series was birthed, and Lloyd, your book was birthed on the basis that we want to help people obviously achieve financial freedom through property, but it's about a longer term strategy. We're not, you know, necessarily just talking about what to do in the next twelve months or twenty four months. And I think from what you've said, if if I were listening today, it's just having a real. Pragmatic approach about what information you do receive, whether it's from a journalist or data, and then using all of that information to make the best informed decision, you know, based on your situation. Yeah,
2: I think what is important is that readers of um, media and property media put things into context. Like I said, don't just say that things are going nuts in the northern beaches if you're currently shopping for a townhouse in Liverpool. So, you know, just because something's happening in one Corner of the property market, it's not necessarily happening in all corners of the property market.
1: I think that's one of the most valuable things because uh, uh, to take out of this bit of the conversation, a lot of people don't realise that it's not not just one property market, uh, and we often talk about the property markets around the country. But then there's like, as Kirsten said, it's really the, the micro markets within. Uh, each city. So, you know, each area of Sydney, different markets. And then we can bring that down to even, you know, various suburbs have uh, their own individual property markets. And that's what people would need to realise as well. Exactly. I've
2: had conversations with agents who say there are various markets within one suburb. There was an agent I spoke to the other day in the Mornington Peninsula about the suburb Flinders, which is expected to get a $3 million median house price this year, according to um, realestate.com.au stats. And he said, well, what part of flinders are you talking about um and portsea as well he discussed both suburbs he said you can have clifftop you can have non-clifftop i know dover heights and four can be another area in sydney where you can have vast and i'm talking millions of dollars difference on one corner of the suburb to the other so you got to put your what you're looking to buy you got to put it into perspective
0: so what we've been talking about a lot particularly in our last episode with john linderman which is you know one way to predict future markets, Kirsten, is to actually look at at what past performance has done. And, you know, we're very lucky in Australia that that since Captain Cook first arrived at the port, that basically from there onwards, you know, Australian property has sort of followed a a theme in terms of how cycles work. And, you know, it just makes it a lot easier to get a snapshot into what the future might look like. And for us, you know, we're, we're of the opinion and feel that the market will likely start to, the term we want to use is stabilize because we don't really ever believe that, you know, none of us are expecting a 10 to 20% adjustment or correction because that would, could possibly have, you know, big effects on the economy. and, And, you know, as Lloyd always says, the government's not going to allow the market to go through something as substantial as that because, you know, stability I think is key to navigating through the current climate. But I mean, in terms of just building what you've said and and Lloyd, you know, we we definitely think we are moving towards a, a period of stabilization. What's interesting is that people do get caught up in hype when they see a lot of big results, you know, week after week. It you, you almost become accustomed to, you know, opening up the paper on a Sunday and seeing another article about, oh well, X sold for this price or whatever the case may be. And, and that's not me having a dig at you as a journalist. That's that's just generally across the board, you know, whether it's on Facebook, people discussing amongst friends. But Lloyd, definitely the way we feel we're headed is that we will start to go into a bit more of a, a stabilized period or, and, and possibly a slight correction.
1: I, I think definitely, Alex, in the next three to six months, we probably will see things ease off a bit, a little bit. So a bit of a stabilization at that point. There may be a small correction, uh, I don't think there'll be a huge correction because I think that at the moment we're very much uh, in a market where there's it's driven by people looking for owner-occupied homes. Yes. And that's going to be overtaken uh, later in the year into next year by people uh, like investors coming back into the market. So uh, I think any period of easing off will be sort of short-lived and then be taken off by the investors. But certainly the current period, know, I see that as uh, you know, slowing down a little bit uh, you know, later this year.
0: Kirsten, if we can just sort of move on to, I guess, the next phase of this conversation, I'm really keen to know, to add value to our audience, so people that I would say the majority of our audience are either currently investors or they're looking to invest in property or they are, you know, at, at some point hoping to make a big decision and, you know, they're using us as, a, as one of many sources to make the most informed decision. Having you know, a broad view of, of the Sydney and, and many markets and having the, you know, the, the great privilege of reporting and, and commentating on, on the property market, is there anything that you've found over the course of your career, which you could really refine in terms of either what makes property sell really well or how people can give themselves the best opportunity to, to maximize the value of their investment?
2: Oh, okay. So you want to know how people can add value to their portfolios?
0: Yeah. So, as an example, uh, you know, in my experience, I've always found over the course of my career that if you were to say, "Alex, look, what's the? How can I get the best price for my home?" Uh, which is typically the question everyone asks me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I've managed to refine a few basic principles, and one of them, for example, is that you know, buyers will always pay a premium in any market, in my view, for you know, a, a finished product. I like to call them the doll's houses, oh, yes. the ones that are, are beautifully appointed. Yes. You know, they're. they're journos love them because obviously they photograph really well. They look great on a on an Instagram story or in in a full page spread or write up in the paper. You know that's just one example. And and I guess uh, the other main principle I've identified is you know generally houses that don't require any work, so they're basically you know we use the term turnkey. Yes. They they tend to be the ones that always have helped my customers maximise their result. And I'm sure Lloyd, you know, you look for the the contrast of that in many of the investments you you buy. If, if you want to add to that,
1: oh, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm always looking for properties where you can yeah add value to not not ones that are already beautiful, but ones that uh, might need that renovation. Uh, ones where you can actually add value to that that kitchen or the bathroom. Um, yeah, do the floor coverings and um, do a bit of landscaping and and what so basically turning that ugly duckling that might be in a really good street. But you're, Lloyd, you're working
2: a- for the buyer, obviously, so you you want to get something that is a bit unfinished so they can add value. But whereas the seller is going to come from a different absolutely. perspective. <laughs> They're going to want to right, get, get that extra money out. So they do want to finish product.
0: That's why I say we're the two opposite evils because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to achieve one job and Lloyd's trying to do that's the other, but together we make a great separate. team. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm,
2: yeah. I'm the neutral party here, but I think, Alex, you're right. What, what I've seen is probably one huge difference is the presentation of homes and just how seriously that's been taken over the last 10 to 15 years. And I think we would have to pretty much put that up to the block and every other reality real estate show and now Instagram as you mentioned. So the, the more Instagramable your property, the more attention it's gonna get.
0: I mean it's funny you say that, Kirsten. I actually um I had a walk through a property the other week that was virtually an original seventies double brick, you know, very Nothing remarkable about this property whatsoever, and I'm walking through what was basically a construction site. And as the as the two owners were showing me the work they're doing to the property, every time they pointed out a fixture or fitting, they said, "Oh, yeah." We, I go, "Where would you find that? That looks great." They go, "Oh, we bought it on Insta- We found it on Instagram." So it's funny just observing the trends of of how people are styling homes now. It's it's we've never really seen anything like this in the past.
2: Yeah, and I think when it was once a Uh, domain of wealthy people or people who were maybe more creative and had a certain skill, that's now become far more mainstream, as you said, with social media and Instagram and these television shows showing us exactly what colours to put together and where we can buy these things and having lookbooks so you can recreate a room. It's become a lot easier than it ever used to be. I think when I first started writing about fancy properties in Sydney's eastern suburbs, they would have trucks would come in and furnish a house, and then when it's sold, the trucks would come and take everything away. But yeah, it's um, filtered through to even more affordable listings now. Everyone's having a go at styling and, and trying to get that extra dollar out of their home.
0: Absolutely, and I, I know Lloyd. Obviously, this is a bit of a departure from you know the conventional investment approach. But I think there's there's obviously people that you know are, are Long-time listeners now of our series that are also owner-occupiers, and we were just discussing in our previous episode that there is a very strong prevalence of owner-occupiers in the current market. So, you know, people looking to move up in, into their primary residence, and you know, it's interesting. We always talk about, uh, I guess, from my side of the fence, you know, it's all about influencing a home's perceived value, and I think definitely the the most recent trends we've seen definitely would support that everyone's sort of getting on the bandwagon of bringing what was. You know as you rightfully said maybe 10 years ago only really accessible to people that had the you know the capital accessible to spend 10 fifteen thousand dollars styling a home and finishing off a home to market it, it's very much now prevalent across every price point you know I see studio apartments that have been beautifully furnished well appointed they look like they belong on an instagram tile or story so it, it's it's nice to hear that you're seeing that also you know from a helicopter view
2: yeah well even these um the styling companies they have packages that include studio apartments Apartments. They never used to have that. And just speaking to agents they, who do sell those smaller properties, they say, you know what? People don't have imagination. They walk into 50 square meters and they don't know what to do with it. And they think, I couldn't live here if it's empty. But if it's, got, um, if it's styled in the right way and configured in the right way, that can be worth tens of thousands of dollars to this eventual sale price, yet only cost a couple of grand to style.
0: Absolutely, and Lloyd. I guess you know, as a segue into the investment side of things, it's really interesting. I mean, as you mentioned, the block before Kirsten, we've we've had the benefit of having a couple of people. Uh, on, on various seasons of the block join us on the show and we've loved every one of those episodes and all of those people have have then after that block phase of their life got on to invest in property or f- fix homes and move them. And and you know, Lloyd, it's interesting from an investment perspective, one of the big things we talk about is one of the greatest ways to add value to a home or, or manufacture equity to use the term in your book, positively geared, it's to renovate and to enhance the perceived value of a home, and it's something that is is becoming more and more affordable to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Alex. That's really happening. Like, and as Kirsten's saying, like everything's really been staged, and I've probably seen been seeing that more and more myself over the last ten years. But at the moment, with so many people upgrading their homes, so we've got uh, a couple of different people in the market at the moment. We've got first time buyers, and they've got upgraders. So first home buyers are getting in and, and buying you know their first homes obviously that have been styled by people who are then selling their homes to upgrade to a, to another home. so there's a lot of that sort of styling uh, going on you know that probably wasn't done uh, so much in the past, and that's more from an owner occupier perspective from an investment perspective, then you know people would you know have their investment properties and not necessarily be buying stuff that's styled or already done so well because no. it's really all about the numbers and everything and then they would um yeah you know, do those little cosmetic winos and be able to just add value, add cash flow to their property so that they can actually make some money going forward. So it's a completely different mindset.
0: I think the other thing too, Kirsten, and you probably would see it this way too, or hopefully agree, which is consumer expectations have shifted dramatically in the last five to 10 years. So buyers when they're going out shopping, looking for a home, whether it's a, an owner-occupier home or, or an investment, probably for the less seasoned investors that don't have the benefit of someone like Lloyd in their corner to you know, pull them back into line and say, why are you looking at that? That's not the right investment for you. But definitely with owner-occupier homes, you know, buyers are almost expecting, they, they want to see the styled home. They want to have the block style experience, particularly when they're getting up into the sort of $2 million plus price point. You know, the standard has shifted dramatically.
2: Yes, I agree.
0: Is there anything, Kirsten, that you want to cover off on that we haven't?
2: Oh, I I just think that um, it is a unique market at the moment, and Lloyd did say first home buyers are a big component of who's buying at the moment. But they are a lot of them are actually investors, so um, they do sort of there is a split in the first home buyer market. I think because some people are still going to buy something; it's their first home, but they're they're an investor, and so they probably. Are influenced by how amazing something looks, even if they're not going to live in it because it's the first time they've purchased, and it is easier. Perhaps when you're younger and un- uninitiated in property, you sort of you get emotional. So there are emotional buyers out there who are investors. They're probably likely to be the first home buyers. Do you agree, Lloyd?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think one they of the things be that I always try <laughs> That's right. I always try to educate my clients not to be emotional and things, but the first home buyers, the very first time investors are often emotional like that and you need to get them out of that habit and just get them to to think about the numbers uh, and all. But yeah, that's often very much the case.
0: I think the other thing too is, you know, and I've just coined this term, it's it's not an actual term, but it's that sort of hybrid first home buyer. So, yes. as you mentioned- term, Alex. Uh, <laughs> I might steal I better, that from I better, you. <laughs> I, better, I better trademark that very Gotta quickly. be in
1: the media <laughs> by this afternoon.
2: You'll see it in the um, paper tomorrow. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: As long as you give me a credit, yeah. <laughs> um, I call it the hybrid buy, basically, because as you mentioned, there's a lot of first home buyers that obviously they want to capitalise on uh, the first home buyer grant, particularly if they're within that threshold uh, to yes. to get the stamp duty exemption. But they're also then they're obviously having to live in the property for a period of time, yeah, and then eventually it will move to an investment. But as as a byproduct of that you know and particularly with younger generations and look I'd like to think I'm still part of the younger <laughs> generations so please forgive me if i if i feel like i'm offending any of the younger people listening to this but i do definitely feel that younger people have uh, higher expectations out of a property and lifestyle than previous generations had that's just my observations
2: I think I'd agree. I think I come across a lot of first-home buyers that want a dream home. And I know it's probably not fair because perhaps their parents or their grandparents bought their first home at 25 and it was a three-bedroom home and they had a big backyard and they loved it and in a great suburb. But realistically, if you live in a metropolitan area, that's probably not going to happen. It's not going to be your first home. So... I'd like to think that more and more first home buyers are becoming more savvy and realising the value of investing first perhaps if they're not willing to live in an outer suburb or they can't for work reasons and doing this rent vesting, uh, another term that's been coined by the media. I think there is definitely a hybrid in the first home buyer, but it's very hard to put a figure on it because as you said, they do tend to live in the property to be able to qualify for the grants and then they might move back in with their parents or they might rent with friends or somebody somewhere else. So it's really a bit hard to know how many people are actually doing it that
1: way. Yeah, no, we often talk about that and my recommendation is for people to, uh, I guess, to rent where they uh, want to live and then build up an investment portfolio elsewhere, just uh, buy investment properties where they can afford to and not uh, not spend all their serviceability trying to you know, pay off a mortgage and often in an area in a major city that they may not even want to live anyway. So rent investing is definitely a good strategy. And I think more and more people are doing that these days, particularly over the last five or 10 years since this term was was coined.
2: Yeah, and it's not just first home buyers who don't have any money and are moving back in with parents. I know some very wealthy people who rent where they want to and have, you know, a dozen or two dozen properties elsewhere that they don't live in. Mm. Um, it's yeah. just for some people it's a strategy, and it works really well for some people, whether you're at the start of your property ladder or at the top.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. I know some very wealthy people who just choose to rent and they, they have a lovely home on the on the beach in Sydney and, and they have an extensive property portfolio and, and that's their choice of strategy and lifestyle and it, that works for them. So, you, you know, you you don't have to own um, your own home. It comes down to the strategy choices that you make. But I think at the end of the day, if people are really struggling to get ahead, then trying to have your own mortgage uh, as opposed to investing something is probably a, a bad move. You should be trying to you know, invest in something and then just be able to rent where you can afford to essentially.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's sort of almost Australians need to break this taboo of renting means that, you, that you're poor. I think younger people are starting to understand that that's the way they're going to get forward. But I think probably for people who um, were buying their first properties in the 70s or 80s, you just didn't rent. If you had money, you bought a home and you lived in it. And you only have to look at other places in the world to see that there's a lot of people that rent and they rent for life and they rent generationally um, and perhaps they invest elsewhere. But um, renting doesn't mean what it used to mean in Australia.
1: Yeah, and we've just got to, um, I think the term you know, used to be always about rent money is dead money, but I haven't even heard that term for a few years now. So yeah, it's a matter of changing people's perception, really.
0: And that's it. It's, you know, it's just that paradigm shift with people. Um, and, and sometimes you know, it does take uh, several generations to break the, the trend and, and you know, hopefully our podcast series and guests like you, Kirsten, to empower them with more information to make better decisions for the future. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Kirsten. It's been really awesome having you on. It's um, you know great to have someone from your line of work uh, giving us uh, your insights into the property market and, and your experiences in the property market. So we've really enjoyed that. Where can people listening find you if they want to read up on some of your stuff or on social
2: well, um, just Kirsten Craze on Twitter. I think it's at underscore Kirsten Craze and um, Instagram at Kirsten Craze. And well, I think uh, the fortunate thing about being a journalist with a very bizarre surname means that um, you can just kind of stick it into Google and you'll find my articles.
0: Awesome stuff. Thank you so Thanks much, Kirsten. Kirsten. We've Lloyd, we've really enjoyed our time
1: with her today. Absolutely. Thanks, Alex.
2: Thank you.